Well, it's good to see you this morning, and uh, man, it's been a uh, busy, busy week for me, uh, but uh, back in the Lord's house, and uh, I love it when we gather together for our Bible study time and our worship service, and so it's good to see each and every one of you have made it a priority to be in God's house, whether you're here in person or here online, we welcome you, and certainly if you're visiting with us, uh, let me just say I really appreciate you taking time to come and be here at Battlefield Baptist Church today, and I pray that you have already received a blessing, but that you'll be encouraged, but also I want you to be challenged as we get into God's Word today, and um, what a wonderful Savior we serve. Uh, here in just a few moments of time, we're going to be observing a believer's baptism, and so if you have trusted Christ as your Savior and you've uh, not taking that step of obedience to follow in believer's baptism, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, gentlemen, to my left, to your right, right around the corner here, you'll go up the stairs. Everything has been made ready. All you need is uh, a willing heart and a pair of shorts, all right? <laughs> and if you don't have a pair of shorts, we've got something for you to wear as well. And uh, T-shirts and towels and everything are up there. And then ladies, to my right, to your left, around beyond the grand piano here, you'll go up the steps and everything's ready for you, and I look forward to that time. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. As you can see, uh, the title and the scripture this morning, uh, we've talked about Jesus in the context of many things over the past uh, month or so. We've talked about Jesus, hope for the helpless. We've talked about Jesus being the fortifier of our faith. We've talked about Jesus, whether we see it as an opportunity or sometimes we may look at Jesus and see an obstacle. Uh, so we talked about that. We talked about the fact last week that Jesus is actually sight for the sinner. By the way, that's not a condemnation because we're all sinners. And so that's a good thing, Jesus sight for the sinner. And so uh, this morning as we begin, uh, I want to ask each and every one of you, and really all of us, including myself, I want us to be brutally honest with ourselves. Have you ever been brutally honest with yourself before? Let me see. Anybody ever been brutally honest with yourself? Yeah, uh, I want to ask you to do that again. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or make any statements or anything like that. But I do want us to consider uh, this question as we get ready to begin this morning. And that is, who is, you see it right there? Who is the Lord of my life. Now I know what you're thinking if you're here and you've already trusted Christ, you're probably saying, oh pastor, I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior long ago. Great. Congratulations. Praise the Lord. We'll fill in all the other blanks. But the question comes back to you guys, show up the question again. Who is the Lord of my life. Pastor, you don't understand. I mean, I serve the Lord. I sing for the Lord. I stand up for the Lord. I speak about the Lord. I do all of these wonderful things for the Lord. I mean, why would you ask me this question? Because the question is vitally important for us each and every day of our life. So let me ask again, who is the Lord of your life? Because chances are, if not every day, it might not be every day, but I'm assuming and guessing that on some days we all struggle with the little thing. We all struggle with the little thing. Um, you know, we struggle with earthly kings, little k. We struggle with being an earthly lord and, and reality sets in. And if we're not careful, we all struggle with crowns. Now, I'm not going to wear it because I look silly wearing a crown. Although, let me wear it for my wife one second. 
Yes, you may bow in obeisance to me. All right. Now we joke and we laugh. And yet if we're not careful, every one of us, every one of us, whether we want to admit it, here's the reality I know about crowns. We tend to listen to whoever wears it. In the workplace, your boss is the one who wears the crown. In the home place, guys, just be honest, your wife is the one who wears the crown. <laughs> no, you don't know me. I run a tight ship at my house. Okay, congratulations. Keep fooling yourself. The reality, though, is, to be honest, we listen to the one who wears the crown. And so the question comes back, who is the Lord of my life? And that question is for me as much as it is for you. You say, well, you're the pastor. Yes, but there are some days that I wake up and I want to put the crown back on. Anybody else ever done that? There's some days that I wake up and I just want it to be my way instead of God's way. Have you ever struggled with that? It's called the crown problem. And here in this passage, some significant things are being said in Isaiah chapter 6. But if you're there, and I pray that you have a Bible. If you don't, there's one in the pew back for you. Grab that Bible. Find Isaiah chapter 6. But here's the deal. If we were to actually look back just maybe one page or maybe just across the page from Isaiah chapter 6, we find Isaiah 5. And we can see in that passage that God's children, the nation of Israel, literally they're living in open sin and idolatry at this point. Open sin and idolatry, that's what's taking place. And it was a season of turbulent times for Israel and their history. And here's the deal. I put down some thoughts. The people were filled with selfish greed. They were oppressive people. They were extremely wasteful. Hello. They were extremely wasteful. They were materialistic. They were overwhelmingly, watch this, they were overwhelmingly defiant people towards God. Why? Because they had a crown problem. They had an issue of the crown. They, were, they lacked decency. Uh, they had what I think we see a lot in 2021. They had a I know it all mentality. You ever met any people who seem to know it all? Everybody seems to have all the answers. Uh, surprise, surprise. Israel was also dealing with uh, government corruption uh, through the years, uh, bad kings and whatnot, and substance abuse abounded. And it was really, it was a wicked time. Put in my notes, it sounds a lot like 2021 in the good old United States of America. And it, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, but in, look at verse 8 in chapter 5. I just want you to see this. I'm just going to make reference. We'll not show the verses, but just look. Chapter 5, it exposes the sin of greed. If you look at verse number 11 in chapter 5, verse number 11 actually pinpoints the foolishness. Now, this is a whole message in and of itself, so please don't be offended, but this is reality. It actually pinpoints the foolishness of strong drink and drunkenness. Well, brother, that was Old Testament. No, it's still God's Word. It still pinpoints the foolishness there. Verse 18 actually depicts those who plunge deeper and deeper into sin. It's really about people who actually like, man, I'm going to sin and I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm going to keep on doing it. And that's verse 18. But what's really important and, and interesting to me is if look at verse number 20. And I do want us to read these few verses here. In verse 20 of chapter 5, 
This is literally highlighting the moral decay, the moral breakdown, the danger of self-promotion that was going on, self-sufficiency, self-destruction, and all these other things, uh, justification of wicked, and on and on that was going on. But look at verse number 20. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Let's pause just for a second with this one verse. Notice it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is speaking of the sin of perverting and confusing truth. Have you ever heard of anybody perverting and confusing truth in the past year or two? Or am I the only one? (laughs) This is running rampant. This is, in, this is in the Old Testament, in Isaiah. And the same thing was running rampant there. The, in other words, that one verse is calling out those who excuse uh, one, one person while, uh, while basically reproaching the other person. Sounds like 2021. Look at verse 21. It says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Uh, verse 23, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Man, oh man, God's word through Isaiah. Isaiah's, but what's interesting is if you look at verse 8, verse 11, 18, 20 and following, he keeps on saying woe unto who? Woe unto them. Woe unto them. Woe unto them. And we see it over and over and over a degree. And really in some degree, isn't that how we like it? Woe unto them. My neighbor is terrible. Woe unto them. My boss, he's, he or she's horrible. Woe unto them. Right? We like to point the finger at other people. And we like it as long. In fact, it's a comfortable message when we see woe unto them because even though it may be speaking to us, somehow we can divest ourselves from that truth and we can say, well, God's speaking to woe unto them, woe unto them. And sometimes I think when we read verses like that, in a twisted kind of way, we feel better about ourselves because we get caught up in this idea of comparison. By the way, guys, can I encourage you as lovingly as I can, please quit comparing yourself with other people. Quit playing the comparison game. Quit comparing this church to that church. I got news for you. There are no perfect churches. Hello? There are no perfect churches. You want to know why there are no perfect churches? Because the churches are filled with what? And there are no perfect what? That's right. We all have what we call, watch it, air quotes, issues. (laughs) He's got issues. (laughs) She's got issues. Everybody has issues. Oh, listen. If we're not careful, we actually come away from such statements in Scripture Really, like I said, feeling better about ourselves because we assert at the end of the day, we say, well, I'm not that bad. I look at my boss, I'm not that bad. I look at my neighbor and I'm doing pretty good. I look at this family, they got all kind of problems. Look at our family, we're doing pretty good. Guys, we ought to quit comparing ourselves with other people and try to be more like Jesus. By the time we get to Isaiah chapter 6, look with me in Isaiah chapter 6, the political situation has changed. And verse 1 tells us, 
excuse me, it begins in verse 1 and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah was the 10th king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and there's a lot that goes into that. We'll not take time to bear that out, but he was 16 years old. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. Could you imagine that we had a president that began to reign at 16 years old? That's a scary thought. It makes me depressed just thinking about it. But oh, Uzziah, he begins to reign at the age of 16. And the reality is Uzziah is actually a good, a godly kingdom. He reigns for, this is what scares me even worse, is having a president that would reign for 52 years. He reigns for 52 years and he does good things. He does, in fact, the Bible says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And under his leadership, God blessed Uzziah. He blessed the kingdom of Judah, and the people prospered. There was great power, there was wealth, and there was great success. Uh, because Isaiah, or Uzziah rather, he was not only an intelligent king, a godly king, but he was very innovative, and he so he sought ways to to uh, prosper Judah during this time. And and the sad part about King Uzziah's life is, although he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He got proud. He got proud. Have you ever known somebody that's doing big things for God and all of a sudden they get their halo on too tight and they get a little proud and then the next thing you know you hear the story of this one who has fallen, this one who's done that, this one who's getting, gotten caught away and all these other things. Well, Uzziah, he gets proud. And the reality is he decides he's going to go into the temple. And he goes to the temple and... Uh, he decides, I'm king, I can do whatever I want. And if you know the story, you can go to 2 Chronicles and read all about it. But he goes to the temple and he wants to light incense in the temple. And despite the fact that 80, 80, 80 priests tell him, don't do this, don't do this. You are not consecrated by God to be a priest. You're not consecrated to do this. Don't do it because it's not going to end well for you. Well, like all proud kings... Watch it, who wear their own crown. He didn't listen. Uzziah goes in and he lights that incense. And the reality is God strikes him with leprosy. And so in an instant, he goes from being a leader to a leper. In an instant, he goes from living and reigning in the palace to having to live in seclusion. And if you know the rest of Uzziah's story, you can, like I said, you can go to 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and read all about it. But uh, if you know the rest of his story, you know that he dies in his leprous condition. And, and here's the funny thing. Put that first part of verse number one up again, guys. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Here's the interesting fun fact for us. Isaiah's father was a man by the name of Amoz. He was actually the brother to a guy by the name of King Amaziah. And so Amaziah was King Uzziah's father. Thereby the prophet Isaiah would have been King Uzziah's what? Cousin. He would have been his cousin. I heard somebody guess. Good, or, oh, it was, good job, man. 
cousin. You got it right. So he would have been his cousin. So the news of Uzziah's death begins to permeate Judah. Remember, they loved him. He was a godly king. This, the country had prospered under him, and so there's a lot of mourning. By the way, the Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, right? In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4. And so the reality is it seems as though Isaiah the prophet would have made his way to the temple seeking that comfort that only the Lord could bring. And, and here's what I want to stop and say. Many times in our lives, God brings seasons of crisis, Sometimes God brings seasons of difficulty. Sometimes God brings seasons of personal loss into our life. And when he does that, the reality is he's wanting to draw us closer to him. He's wanting us to return and set our affection on him once again. And so sometimes when we lose loved ones, sometimes when we're in the midst of physical problems or financial problems, or whatever the situation might be, Sometimes we struggle with that reality. But in this case, you'll notice in verse 1 and following here, we'll read it in just a second, that God gives Isaiah a vision. He gives him a vision in the midst of his mourning. And uh, in the Old Testament, God used visions. Well, today, though, he uses the Word of God and the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. And so look with me in verses 1 and following. I want us to walk through this very short passage of Scripture here and suggest a few things along the way that hopefully will be an encouragement, a challenge to us. Look at verse number one. It says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the doors moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled by smoke. And so if you're a note taker, I would suggest right away, here's a couple of things that I see from Isaiah. Isaiah was convinced. He was convinced by what he saw. He goes in, he's in the midst of mourning. God gives him this vision and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees the Lord personally. He sees him positionally. He saw the Lord exalted in reverence. Remember, look at verse number three. It says the angels, they cry out, holy, holy, holy. By the way, why do they cry out, holy, holy, holy? Lord God, the Father, Lord God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And so they're recognizing God, the perfect God in the Trinity. And so they talk about his earth. Look at verse 4. It indicates that he would have understood God's existence because he says, smoke. He says, smoke fills the whole temple. His train fills the temple and his house is filled with smoke. Oh man, can you imagine seeing that? Can you imagine God giving you a vision, open up a little window so that you could see him high and lifted up and that his train filled the temple, that seraphims were there singing unto him, praising him, and there was smoke. I mean, you talk about a light and a smoke show. This is what Isaiah saw. But here's what I know. Isaiah was convinced that this wasn't a show of man. He was convinced that it was God. Angels cry out. Isaiah is moved in verse 3 because he sees and he recognizes that the whole earth is full of God's glory. In other words, Isaiah sees what? Watch. He sees the only one who's worthy to wear the crown, high and lifted up. He sees the Lord of hosts. He sees the Lord of all. 
Scripture declares that our great God is creator. Do you know that? The Bible says in the beginning God created the world, the heaven and the earth in Genesis 1.1 and Psalm 19.1. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. He's not only creator, he's sustainer. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Coloss, he says this in Colossians 1. For by him, Jesus. By the way, you say, why do you say Jesus when it says for by him? All things were created. Well, because John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to speak of Jesus. Okay, and so we connect the two. We compare Scripture with Scripture. And so Colossians says, For by Him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by him all things consist. Oh, listen, he's creator, he's sustainer, but most importantly, guys, he's Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's the only Lord. There's a lot of people who think they're Lord. There are a lot of ones who, who think there's some other Lord, but he is the only Lord, and Scripture reveals that one day, one day, here's the thing, I love it, do you know it doesn't matter if I acknowledge him as Lord today? Because one day I will. You're like, whoa, where do you get that from? What do you mean? If, if, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, if God had not called me to serve him in this regard, if I was still in the military, if I, well, I wouldn't be in the military, they would have forced my hand to retire, okay? I mean, yeah, they would have told me, hey, you're too old, man, get out, all right? But if I had just finished up my time and I was serving at OST or something, I was working somewhere else, right? It doesn't matter. He's still Lord. He's still in control. And you say, well, where do you get that? Well, the, Paul says to the church at Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, notice what he says in verse number 7 and following. He says, but he made himself, Jesus, of no reputation and took on him, speaking of himself, the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But look at verse number 9. Here's where it gets interesting. Wherefore, because he did all these things, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. In verse number 10, that at the name of Jesus, there it is, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Uh, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now here's the thing. Look at verse number 10 and 11 again. Because in verse number 10 it says that every knee should. What I want you to know is that word should bow means will. One day every knee will bow. Whether you acknowledge him as Lord today, tomorrow, next week, or next month, or Anytime while you're breathing this precious air that he's given us to breathe, one day there's coming a day that scripture reveals, not my word, God's word says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now go back to verse number one of our text and I'm going to pull it back in. I say he's not only creator, he's sustainer and he's Lord and you say what's the big deal? Look back at verse number one of Isaiah chapter six. It says in the year that King Uzziah died, that all of this happened. So Isaiah, 
like the people, they're concerned about the fact that their godly king is now dead. Their earthly king who wore the crown is dead. And God takes this opportunity to remind Isaiah, I got news for you, Isaiah. Uzziah isn't king. I'm king. And I sit high on my throne. That's the beautiful picture that we see. The point is that man, until man is dethroned and God is enthroned in our hearts and lives as the all-powerful, all-knowing, supernatural, sovereign Lord of all, the reality is we are just wasting our time. If you don't recognize Jesus as being Lord of all, I would suggest that we are wasting our time to gather for worship to learn about him. But remember this, as I move on to the next thought, remember this, that when God was wearing the crown in Uzziah's life, when King Uzziah was doing right in the sight of the Lord, God used Uzziah as a leader. But when Uzziah did wrong, remember, he got all puffed up. He goes into the temple. He says, I'm going to light incense. When he did wrong, God said, guess what? You're no longer a leader. You're a leper. He went that quickly from being the leader to a leper. Oh, listen, this week, as Colby already mentioned, you say, what are all the flags? What are all the faces and everything like that? We're getting ready to have four missionary families in. And I want to beg you and encourage you to be here on Wednesday night. You know what nothing says we really don't care about you like an empty auditorium. Nothing says we could care less about sending the gospel to France, to Nicaragua, to creative access nations all around the world. Nothing says that we really don't care like an empty auditorium. But here's the reality. Missions, revival, missions, whatever we want to call it, put the spin on it. It will never be what it really needs to be in this church or in our lives individually until we recognize and see and are convinced of what Isaiah was convinced of. The Lord, Jesus Christ, was high and lifted up. He was Lord of all. Number two, look at verse number five quickly. Isaiah was convicted by what he knew. Remember in chapter 5, it's woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them for all the things that were going on, their sinful choices and their corrupt living. Well, look at verse number 5. It says, Isaiah says, then said I, woe is me. Uh Uh-oh. Woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, remember, he's convinced by what he sees and because he's convinced that Jesus is the Lord, he's now convicted that he's a sinner and that he needs that Savior. Woo! What a change is going on here in his life. And once he's convicted of God's holiness and glory, the Holy Spirit convicts Isaiah to the point where he actually is ready to be honest with himself and he's ready to be honest with God. Have you ever had a moment of honesty with yourself? I had a moment of honesty. Oh, well, I'll just be honest. I had a moment of honesty last week. My wife and I were putting together a a birthday gift for our daughter-in-law. And uh, it's kind of a gym of sorts. I don't know what you call it, but it's like an all-in-one gym where you can have dead weights, you can have all kind of things, and I was confronted with the reality of my age. You know, because like every guy who puts together a gym, I think I'm still 
16, 17, or 18. So they were the parallel bars. And they were rings, you know, like gymnasts. And I'm going to do this thing, right? And I get on the parallel bars, and the first time I get on, Krista's watching, and I get on there, and I'm like, nope, I'm not going to do that. And I got off, and I said, come on, triceps, wake up. I'm like, come on, come on. Get the gym put together. <laughs> She's like, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare. You're going you're gonna to hurt yourself. You got to preach tomorrow. <laughs> ah, but you know me. Ron, you know me. <laughs> you know. Come on, kid. I'm getting on those things. I get on a thing. I do that one. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's good. It works. I had a moment of honesty. It said, you ain't what you used to be, old fella. In my mind, I am. In my heart, I am. But my body said no. Anybody else have moments of honesty like that? Some of you probably had moments of honesty this morning, <laughs> rolling out of bed. In our passage, though, Isaiah has a moment of honesty. He says, woe is me. Not woe unto them, but woe unto me. I'm the sinful man. I'm the one with the sinful tongue. I'm the one living in the midst of a sinful people. God, woe is me. I'm convicted of my sin. And he gets real honest with God. By the way, the Bible says there's a way which seems right unto a man. Proverbs 16, 25. There's a way which seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are death. In Luke chapter 5, in verse number 8, this is where Jesus basically commandeers the boats of Peter and tells him to launch out into the deep and catch a drought of fishes and Peter really doesn't believe but he says okay Lord we'll do it and in verse 8 of Luke chapter 5 Peter falls down at Jesus' knees and this is what he says when he realizes who God is just like Isaiah when he is convinced of who Jesus is he says depart from me for I am a simple man O Lord he had a moment of honesty after coming to the sobering conclusion in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 24, the Apostle Paul, here's what he declared. You remember, Paul's the guy who went from being a murderer to a missionary. And in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, it's crazy. He has this moment of transparency, this moment of illumination in his heart. And this is what he says. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall de deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, my friends, maybe you've never heard this or maybe you don't want to hear it or maybe you've heard it and you really don't care. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you know that my wife did not have to tell me I was a sinner? As my mother-in-law laughs. My mother-in-law told her before she even got the opportunity to figure it out. He's a sinner. Stay away from him. <laughs> no one had to tell me I was a sinner. I knew that I was a sinner. And the reality is, folks, unless or until you and I accept and personalize this truth into our hearts, until we come to the point like Isaiah where we are convicted of our own sinfulness, we're convinced of who God is and we're convicted of our own personal situation concerning sin, 
We will continue to walk according to the three persons of our own trinity, me, myself, and I. And the reality is when we walk according to my own ways, my own thoughts, and my own desires, I might as well put the crown on as I'm walking around. And you say, well, you would look mighty stupid walking. Wouldn't you say that? If you saw me in Wegmans, I was like, yeah, I'm just here today getting some lettuce. If you saw, hey, I want, oh man, can I get some of those donuts? Can I get some of the, if, if I walked into Walmart, Wegmans or anywhere else, you would say, we're never going back to that church. And yet, let me ask the question. You may not wear the fake kid's crown, but isn't that what we do in our lives? When we operate outside of the authority of God's word. Look at verse 6 and 7. Isaiah's convicted, but look what happens. It says, then flew one of the seraphims. So here comes one of the angelic hosts. This is crazy. One of the seraphims comes unto me having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, uh, with the tongs off the altar. Good thing the angel used tongs because it's pretty hot. He takes it off the altar and he lays it upon Isaiah's mouth, the Bible says, and said, lo, this has touched your lips and thine iniquity. By the way, the word iniquity means to be twisted out of shape. He says, lo, your iniquity is taken away. In other words, God's removing the fact that you are twisted out of shape. God is taking care of it. And then look, it says, and thy sin, sin actually means to miss the mark. It's like the old proverbial statement, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. Okay, so it means to miss the mark. And he says, and thy sin is purged. That word purged means covered. And so what God is doing in this moment, the angel through God's power comes and removes Isaiah's iniquity, what was going on in his heart, but also the sin that was taking place when he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. By the way, I, I would suggest that maybe there's some other cases that could be made, but I, I suggest that Isaiah, the reason he was a man of unclean lips was because he was not speaking truth for God. And he comes to the realization that he's not doing his job sharing the truth and the love of God with others. But here in verses 6 and 7, he's convinced, he's convicted, but we see that Isaiah is cleansed by the power of God. Listen, you remember that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are what? But he is strong. This is what's taking place in Isaiah's life. He says, he says I'm weak. I'm a man of unclean lips. And the angel comes and purges his sin and removes his iniquity. Oh, listen, nobody had to call out his sin. He fully recognized that he actually needed to be cleansed, and that's exactly what God does. Look on in verse number 8. Isaiah says, also, after the angel comes and touches my tongue, he says, also, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. So after he's convinced of who God is, he's convicted of his sin, he's been cleansed of his sin, Isaiah then consecrates himself to the call of God. He becomes consecrated. He says, he says God, here am I. He says, I'm available, I'm willing. God calls and he actually answers. He says, God, he says, I recognize that you are the one that's on the throne. I recognize that I need to get my eyes off of King Uzziah and I need to put my eyes back on you. I need to focus, refocus on who you are and your greatness. I think about David. 
sin with Bathsheba. You remember he didn't confess his sin for about a year. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and reveals his sin. And David writes his repentant or penitent prayer. And you can read about that in Psalm 32, but also in Psalm 51. But look at Psalm 51 in verse number 15. Here's what David says. He, at the, near the end of his prayer, he says, O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. His heart had been changed and David said he would show forth his praise. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, Paul challenges the believers in Rome by saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Notice the very last phrase, which is your what? In other words, Paul says it's reasonable. In response to what God has done for you, it's reasonable to present yourself to him. As soon as Isaiah gets right with God, he says, hey, he says, Lord, here am I. I'm available. I may not be much, I'm available, but I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing to devote myself to do, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And in that moment, God says, great, I got a real great assignment for you, Isaiah, because in verse number nine, God says, go and tell this people. And we know from scripture that, that the message that God wanted Isaiah to go share was a message of punishment. It was a message of judgment. And so all throughout the rest of Isaiah's days, that's exactly what he did. He shared the message of the, excuse me, of the kingdom of God. And he's faithful and he constantly calls people to faith through Jesus Christ and through God, excuse me, that would deliver them. And he's cleansed, he's commissioned, and he goes out and he does this. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was riding down to a meeting down in Fishersville, down by Stanton. Um, and as I'm driving... It was pouring down rain. If you were here Thursday morning, you know I got up at 4.30, made my way up here to the office, and then left. It was probably about 5.15. I got on the road, and it was just pouring, raining cats and dogs. And as I'm driving, the Lord just kept on reminding me about this, that this has been his message over and over, right? Isaiah's commissioned by God, but this is God's message over and over throughout Scripture. Remember, God tells Isaiah, go and tell this people... And I started thinking about that, and I started reflecting on the fact that in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham to go into a land that he will show him. If we look at Exodus chapter 3 and 4, God tells Moses to go unto Pharaoh into Egypt. Remember, he tells him to go lead his people out of Egypt. In Joshua chapter 1, Moses is dead. God says, Joshua, you need to go over this Jordan into the promised land. It continues on. You see in Jeremiah with the weeping prophet, God says, Jeremiah, you need to gird up your loins. You need to get ready. You need to arise and you need to go speak. You find that in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse number 17. I think about, you remember the unpopular message God told Jonah. What did he tell Jonah to do? Same thing. He said, go into Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. In other words, in fact, in chapter 3, notice he says this. He says, arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. In other words, you go and do what I tell you to do, Jonah. You remember the first time he disobeyed, he's like, nah, I'm not going there. I got my own plan. I got my own process. I'm going to go over here. And then, you know, from Scripture, that great fish swallowed him up for a few days until Jonah came to a census. This time Jonah goes. 
In every gospel account that we see in Scripture, God tells his disciples, and by affiliation as believers, he tells all of us, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. It's over and over and over. By the way, he does the same thing with Saul who becomes Paul. Saul at his conversion experience in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 6. He's on the road to Damascus. He's on his way to persecute Christians. He has his conversion experience. And then in the midst of it, this is what Jesus says to him. He says, arise and go into the city and there you will be told exactly what you must do. Do you know what Jesus' message to Paul was? He says, he says, you're going to have to learn what you must do and suffer for my name's sake. Do you realize that in 2021, sometimes we have to suffer? But as followers of Christ, we can suffer well. You can suffer well. You can stand up for Jesus even when you're suffering. By the way, you can still look like Jesus if you're wearing a mask. I'm serious. You can still look like Jesus if you're wearing a mask. A mask doesn't change you from looking like Jesus. Whether you're wearing a mask or not a mask, the reality is you can still be just like Jesus to the world. The Bible tells us in Romans 1 and verse number 16, the gospel of Jesus Christ is still the power of God unto salvation to every, watch it, everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks or Gentiles. It's the power of salvation. For all who shall call upon the name of the Lord. It's an all-inclusive plan. I like, anybody ever been to an all-inclusive resort? I haven't. <laughs> Why don't we do that? Sorry, just hold on for a second. How come we don't do that? I want to go somewhere that's all-inclusive. You know the gospel is all-inclusive. God so loved the world. And if you were the only person, he would have done exactly what he did by sending his son to die on the cross for you and for me. Why? Because that's the God we serve. He's a loving God. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. Oh, listen, what a wonderful, holy God we serve. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 19 and 20. It comes after verse 17 that says, and verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then by the time you get to verse number 19, it says that you and I are actually all have been given a ministry. We are ministers of reconciliation. And you say, well, how do we do that? Well, verse 20 follows it up by saying, you're a minister of reconciliation because now in Jesus Christ, you're actually an ambassador for Christ. And so we go into the world as ambassadors. And we know from John chapter 13 and verse number 34, Jesus said that we have a new commandment to love one another as he had loved us. And, and I get that. And we're supposed to love one another. And then in verse number 35, he says, this is actually how all men are going to know that we're his disciples. But our main mission, our main calling, if you please, beyond loving one another, upon everyone seeing our love for one another, is to go and to tell this people. People need to know that Jesus loves them. And if you already recognize that and you have already received his love, 
it's incumbent upon us and you and me to tell other people that he loves them too. He died for the sins of the world. However, I put in my notes until we're convinced, until we're convinced that the Lord is in high and lifted up, until we're convinced where the Lord is, until we're convicted of our own personal sin, until, we, until we're convinced of who He is and who we are, until we've gone through this cleansing process, until we've literally said, hey, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm willing. I'm actually available. I might not be your first choice. I might not be your second choice, Lord, but here I am. Send me. Use me until we come to that realization, until we come to that point in our lives. The reality is there probably will never be any commissioning in our lives because until those things become a reality, the crown never comes off. We continue to wear the crown. And you remember what I said at the beginning? We tend to listen. We tend to listen to the one who wears the crown. Whether it's at home, the workplace, the marketplace, or in the worship place. Well, I'm here, aren't I, Pastor? Sure. But there have been times where I've been in this very room when I wasn't serving as pastor I sat there and I struggled with the crown issue I struggled with who was in charge of my life and so I'm guessing if I struggled with that on occasion I'm guessing that others have struggled with that on occasion as well and so I beg you Jesus he's the Lord of all but he's only Lord of all if we recognize him as such. Maybe you're here and you've never realized that Jesus is king. You've never understood how much he loves you. You've never come to the point where you've said, you know what? Word of God, it actually makes a pretty good point here. You've never recognized like Isaiah did, that it's the Lord who's high and lifted up. And since he's the one that's high and lifted up, it would be a good idea. It's the only idea that is really profitable in our life that we would turn our life over to him. And you say, well, I don't want to be a pastor. I'm not saying you be a pastor. I don't want to be a missionary. I'm not saying you be a missionary, although you will be in ministry. You'll be in the ministry of loving other people. Every one of us are in that ministry. Maybe you've never called on the name of the Lord. You know, the Bible simply says that if we'll do that, we will be forgiven of our sin and God will come in and save us, change us from the inside out. And so as we gather for prayers, we prepare to see these ones take that step of obedience and baptism, I'd ask you to pray. If you've never trusted Christ, if you've never literally just said, Lord, forgive me. I recognize I'm a sinner, forgive me. Come into my life, not in a cavalier way, but from the heart, the depths of your heart. And so that you would just say, God, forgive me. I realize I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to be the Savior of my life. If you would just pray that prayer, it's not about a prayer, but a, the desire of your heart. If you would ask the Lord to forgive me, forgive you, I guarantee you one thing. He'll do exactly that. He will do exactly that. He will forgive you. He will come in and begin to change you 
from the inside out. Instead of trying to follow what the world is recommending, why don't we turn it around and follow what God is recommending? Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.